Good morning to everyone in the venue and here in the auditorium. My name's Adrian, and it's so good to be with you today. Whew, hard to believe summer is coming to an end, isn't it? Yeah. It's been a beautiful summer, and it's been a frustratingly wet summer at the same time, hasn't it? I think for us here at the church, hopefully it's been a good summer of learning. It certainly has been for me. I hope it has been for you as well as we march through the book of Galatians together. It's also been a great summer for us as a church to remember the power of being a great neighbor, remember the power of being a great citizen in the communities that God has called us to, whether it be Kearney or Minden or Wood River or Gibbon or any surrounding area. We've had plenty of opportunity though this summer to be great citizens here in our community, haven't we? We've taken advantage of that and will continue to do so. It's hard for me to believe that summer's almost over, but as we send our kids back to school, it, it is. I used that S word at home last week, and my kids told me, don't you dare say that dirty, no good, bad, filthy S word, Dad. Summer forever! <laughs> I kind of wish for that, too. Blitzed by. I love the time just hanging out well with the kids, doing some more activities together, but uh, we sent our kids back to school this past week, as I know many of you did as well. There was a collective mourning in our house, particularly amongst the boys, but they got back there, and now they're getting into their routine, and I guess a little bit of routine is probably good for all of us, isn't it? As we get back into routine, as been noted already, one of the things that we do here is this ministry expo. Because we want to roll into the fall and let you know some ways that you can be involved, some ways that you can get into community if you're not yet in community. And also, as you move into the fall, it's just a really good time for us to take a moment to kind of reinforce who we are, where we're going as a church, and how we get there. And so this morning, well, we're going to talk a little bit about who we are and how we get there. Uh, next week, well, we'll talk a bit about where we're going, at least for this next year to come, underneath the banner of all the different things that you've already heard. But within our From Here to There five-year strategic vision, next week, well, we'll talk, this, talk about this Sunday to Everyday initiative and where we're going with that. Today, I just want to answer the question, uh, who are we? What is our DNA as a church? And speak to this idea, this is how we roll here at Carney E. Free. It really starts with the mission statement that, that you're going to see up on the screen behind me right now. Let's collectively, as a church body, both here and in the venue, let's read this mission statement out loud together. Would you please join me right now? We're building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. It's a beautiful mission statement. It's simple, it's elegant, it's beautiful, it's potent with power. We're building a transformational community. That's what we want. We long in this place for transformation, understanding that none of us has arrived. Somebody say amen. None of us has arrived. We are all in process, and we get there primarily by living out Jesus' great commandment to love God and to love everyone. All people, every kind of people. Listen to how the New Testament authors in a few of the many places speak of transformation and the priority that the Bible places on our growth. 
The priority the Bible places on our change, that we never stay the same. We're always in the process of transformation. Look at just a few verses with me. First one is Galatians 4.19, which says this, My dear children, for whom I am still in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is the Apostle Paul, and of course he's saying, I am longing for this, as a mother longs for her child to arrive. I am longing, I'm even in the pains of this, that Christ would be formed increasingly in each and every one of us. That we would live for him, and we'd increasingly reflect him. That he would be formed in our being, in our body, in our mind, in our soul, more and more as we lean into him on a daily basis. Or how about this one? 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, goes like this. We all who with unveiled faces... It's a reference back to Moses coming down from Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. He had his face veiled even after being in the presence of God. What Paul is saying, we have unveiled faces. And with unveiled faces, we are increasingly reflecting the Lord's glory as we contemplate the Lord's glory. Wow. We contemplate the Lord's glory and we increasingly reflect him from one shade of glory to another increasing light of glory that's just amazing to me how about you to think that we would grow to become more and more glorious than even moses coming down from mount sinai but that's exactly what he is saying how does it happen as we contemplate him as we enjoy jesus as we spend time with him as we live out what he has given us to do Another uh, verse that comes to my mind is Romans chapter 12, which says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here it's saying that transformation happens to some degree as our minds are renewed, as we begin to meditate, not so much on the internet, not so much on the TV news stations, not so much on Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. Meditate on, on Christ. And as we do so, our minds begin to be transformed. Our soul, our spirit is transformed. This word, this idea of transformation is found over and over again in the New Testament, over and over again in the scriptures, but because God is like relentless in his pursuit of our transformation. I have faith that this fall, some of us are going to take a major step in our spiritual development even this fall. That some of us in this room are going to take a step in terms of our transformation from being skeptics to being seekers. That maybe you've come into church today and you say, I'm a skeptic, I don't believe in all this stuff, but someone drugged me here. Well, perhaps this fall, God's going to move you to becoming a spiritual seeker that you say, God, if you have something for me, I'm open to that. Others in this room are seekers, and I... I have faith that God perhaps is going to move some of us who are spiritual seekers in this room to become actually believers in the living God this fall. I believe that can happen in this church this fall, maybe even today. Others of us in this room are believers in Jesus, but we really haven't taken major steps in our discipleship according to a methodology for change. And so we're staying in this infantile state. And what God would have for you, perhaps this fall, is a step that moves you, that moves me, 
a little bit closer to his desire for discipleship because he wants our transformation. We see this again and again in the scriptures. The most influential teacher in all of history, the greatest teacher, the most influential man in all of history, unquestionably, was Jesus. I, whatever you believe today, you must say that he was the most influential person in all of history. The world changes on the axis of Jesus' death and resurrection. And Jesus put it this way as it relates to our transformation. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it falls to the ground, if it's buried, if it dies, it's able to produce many seeds, isn't it? Now, of course, if Jesus was a Nebraskan, he would have rephrased that. Let's see if I can reach down here. Yeah, got it. Okay. And he would have said, unless a grain of seed corn falls to the ground and is buried, symbolizing death to self, is buried, it remains just a single seed, but once it's buried, it's able to produce a lot of these beautiful stalks or ears of corn. Many, many more of these ears on a stalk of corn, right? The, the principle there, of course, is multiplication, isn't it? That we are nothing more than a single seed. We're nothing more than a breath. Our lives are obviously a vapor. They are short. They're not much. But if our lives fall to the ground in Christ and we become more like him, we're able to multiply our influence and become many seeds, able to become much, much more than we could ever think or imagine. The influence that we have could exist beyond our lives here if we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. Transformation happens together in community as we grow in love with Christ and all people. That's a beginning to it, at least with our mission statement. We believe that fully. Uh, now we've got to unpack it a little bit. Every church has to unpack the how for discipleship, the how for transformation. How does it happen? If you're a newcomer here or if you're regular here, I just want to take a few minutes to talk about how we believe transformation can happen here in our lives. What is the model that we keep? If you're a newcomer here, you might come into a church like this and you see a ministry expo like that and you say, so many options. Like, what do they want me to do? I see care ministries, which include Recovery ministry and grief share ministry, divorce care, blended family ministries. I see women's ministries and men in action and men's forge and worship and creative arts ministries. I see building and grounds ministries and kids ministries and middle school ministries, high school ministries, college and young adult ministries. I see life groups, community engagement ministries, storehouse, global missions, connection ministries, and bilingual ministerios en espanol. What do you want me to do? I don't even speak Spanish. I hardly speak English. What is it that you want me to do? Well, that's a really, really good question. And so I want to answer that here in the moments though, that we have remaining. Again, four words, truth, gospel, community, mission, in three environments. That's where we're going to go. This is how we roll at Carney E. Free. Here's the first word, truth. Truth is objective, and we believe that truth actually changes lives. 
So we don't believe here that truth is relative. We don't believe here that truth is subjective, that it's each defined by each individual person. We actually believe that truth is objective. When we get the object of truth into us and we allow that to guide our lives, it can change our lives. Friends, we live in a day that really values emotionalism over reason. Isn't that true? Let me say it again. We live in a day that values emotionalism over reason. We're being taught today to make huge decisions on the basis of how we feel. Huge decisions on the basis of our doubts or our happiness or our anger or our disappointment. I want to give a warning against equating mere emotionalism as equal to deep faith. Sometimes in the church we falsely tell people or imply to people that the most uh, faithful person, the person with the greatest faith, is the one who raises their hands in worship. That that person really has a robust faith. They might. They might not. That is not necessarily equated with deep faith. Now, if you want to do that, good. I do that. I enjoy doing that. And emotion is really, really important to God. I don't want to discount that in any way. Emotion is very important to God. He cares about our emotions. He cares about our feelings, all of that. I'm convinced that as I age, I'm getting more emotional, not less. Anyone else? As you get older, we tend to get more, some of us anyway, at least I feel like I'm getting more emotional, not less. But friends, our foundation must be based on the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ. That has to drive the train that the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ drives our faith, which eventually drives our feeling. And if you begin with feeling, you're not going to get truth either. If you stand on the objective standard of truth, you will be able to stand. If you do not stand on the objective standard of truth, you'll be swayed in every direction by your emotions. And you'll have no stability in life. Stand on truth. That's our starting point. Then we move to gospel. And we believe here the gospel is good news. It's not mere religion. It's not good religion. We don't care a whole lot about religion here. We don't care a whole lot about rules here. We don't care a whole lot about liturgies here. We care about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news. I was talking to uh, Joe Marvin uh, this past week who's an intern within our C20 ministry for college and young adults. And uh, many of you know Joe but because his story was uh, shown in the Carney Hub about 20 years ago when he was left as an infant on the doorsteps of a church in Riverdale. And you might have read his story. Did you read Joe's story? Well, raise your hand. So that appeared in the Carney Hub like 20 years ago, maybe more. Then it appeared again in the Carney Hub about a year ago. Anyway... I was talking to Joe though, this past week because he's now an intern in our church and it's been so awesome for me to see his growth. And so I just asked Joe, what was the difference maker that really kind of sealed the deal that grew you into a Christian that you had no background well whatsoever, you had been away from the church for many, many years, what was the difference maker? And Joe said, well, there wasn't one particular difference maker. There were many different things though, that came together in my life to make a difference in my world. He said, I was working as a barista at a coffee shop, and he had one co-worker who started inviting him to church. 
and another co-worker who told him about the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, through which his sins could be forgiven, he could be welcomed into God's family. And then he started meeting with Aaron Ferguson, our pastor of college and young adult ministries, and Aaron started teaching him about the gospel, kind of discipling him, if you will. Co-workers were doing it, Aaron was doing it. Then Joe started picking up his Bible and doing, in his words, Russian roulette. Which sometimes works, and sometimes doesn't. So sometimes he was left kind of confused reading his Bible. Other times he got something inspiring. But through it all, he said the number one main thing that made a difference in his life was this. Even through all those different variables, what he saw was over the course of a couple months, God was like relentlessly pursuing me. He said, it's like that song, Adrian, the reckless love of God. He's like this hound of heaven, Adrian, who had a reckless love for me. There was no mountain he wouldn't climb up, no door he wouldn't kick down. He's running after me. And he started to believe that thought for himself, that God is running after you, that God is running after me, that he's the hound of heaven, that he is reckless, relentless in his love for us. And when you get a sense of the great gospel of God, that Jesus was fully God, and yet he chose to become fully man, and the righteous, perfect one took the place of our unrighteousness. He was perfect. We obviously are not. He takes our imperfection onto himself, and he gives us his perfection in exchange. You can't help but say, hallelujah, amen. And that's what he experienced. The gospel, which is good news, which leads to life change, not mere religion. Oh, how God's gospel transforms lives. And then we move into community. It's not enough just to give the truth of the gospel. We got to be in community. Community is the context for life change. I recently read this article by a man named Chris Arnade. And Arnade uh, wrote this article, which was based on his book, which I'm looking forward to reading, called Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America. And it's really fascinating, the, the article I, re I read, because he exposes this disconnect between what are called the elites of America in places like Washington, D.C., and New York City, and other places, and those who he describes as being on the back row of America who feel like people have not respected them. You've heard about this, haven't you? And he actually says that folks in inner cities, like the Bronx, New York, where he goes into and spends a whole lot of time in the Bronx, New York, but then he also goes to places like the Appalachian Mountains and spends a whole lot of time with people there. And he says you have a whole lot of people in the inner cities and in places like Appalachia and in the Rust Belt and maybe other places as well that feel like they're kind of in the back row of America, disenfranchised from the urban elites in America. The thing that's so fascinating as I read this article by Arnaid was this. He's an atheist, and so he doesn't like the church because he doesn't care for religion in general. And he doesn't like another institution called McDonald's because it feeds people unhealthy food, he says. 
And uh, so he dislikes both these institutions, but what he notices is he goes through this ethnographic study in which he's spending a lot of time with these folks in the back row, in inner cities, and in Appalachia. What he learns is these two institutions provide something incredibly valuable to people of any socioeconomic status, no matter where you go, people are looking for something called community. People are begging for community, no matter where you go. And what he learned was so fascinating, I didn't know, that many McDonald's allow people just to kind of hang out. And so in some of these neighborhoods, homeless folks will hang out, and they'll play games of chess together, and there's a safe place, a community, where they can come as they are. I like McDonald's better just by reading the article. And this atheist who doesn't like the church comes to respect the church because he sees again and again in inner city neighborhoods and in rural communities, the church is a place where people can come as they are and they can be safe there as they're talking about soul-level realities. You see, he's put his finger on the pulse of something that is vitally important to understand. Many of us need to belong somewhere before we will believe what they teach. Do you believe that? This is the truth. Particularly amongst young people, they are teaching us, the millennial generation has found this beautiful gem that they are teaching Generation X and baby boomers that many people need to belong before they can believe. And they've taught this beautiful gem with respect to this understanding that is true for all of human nature. Until we know that we are safe with all of our wrinkles, with all of our warts, we'll never find community. But until we find community, we won't find life change. So you got to be in a community with other people that are moving the same direction toward Christ, that you would find safety with a few others and out of that is the seeds of life change. The church exists for truth. The church is about gospel. This church is about community. And this church is about mission. The church exists for mission, number four. And the mission of the church is to make disciples. Friends, if you want to be changed, get on mission for God. If you want to be changed, get on mission for God. As great as my sermons are, somebody say amen. <laughs> or as great as they're not. I hate to say it, by themselves they won't change you. I mean, maybe every once in a while, God in his spirit, in his power, will bring something about through a message, and he will institute a change in your spirit. Yeah, he can do that. But usually, it happens through this methodology though, that I'm talking about here, that you're ingesting the truth of the gospel, that you're in community with a few others where you feel safe, and that you're acting on what you believe. That we receive the gospel, and then we live out the gospel. 
that we receive the service of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, and then we live out an other-centered ethic of serving others through his love. We receive and then we give. One of my favorite sayings, I probably say it too much, but I'm just going to say it again because it bears repeating today, is that the longest journey on earth is between our brains and our hearts. It's these 18 inches. It's not between here and Malaysia. It's not between here and India. It's between our brains and our hearts. That's the longest journey on earth. I was listening to the author and great speaker, Brene Brown, add this additional note to that statement. She said, the only way to get from the head to the heart is through the hands. Do you hear that? Uh, this is just a, a reality of how we change. We change by practicing. We change by acting on what we believe. So if we want to internalize a message that we believe in here, we want to get it down to here, it begins in part by practicing what we believe. That leads to our discipleship. We really believe here, not just because we want you to be involved with our great ministries, it's not that. We really believe here that the church exists for a mission. The mission of the church is to make disciples. And each of the ministries that you're going to see in the ministry expo out there relate to making disciples. They relate to you going on mission where you get to make a difference in someone else's life. I saw that in one of the most profound, beautiful ways though, this summer. In my 15, 16 years of doing ministry, I saw something this summer that deeply touched me as I saw a few people on mission in a profound way. Uh, after um, 12 years of service, Pastor Kent Sundberg was awarded a sabbatical. And our elder board has had the wisdom to institute a sabbatical policy where full-time pastors, after a long tenure of service, could go off and receive a sabbatical to be retooled in their areas of ministry service and to be refreshed. So Pastor Kent's been gone for two months. He returned to the office the, this past Monday. But I was reflecting on this with Kent as he returned to, to the office. Over the course of the summer, I heard a number of notes about things down in kids' ministry. And 100% of them were good. All of them were glowing with praise about the kind of work that was being done for kids and families downstairs in children's ministry while the pastor over kids' ministry was gone. How? Three women took on Kent's job for the summer. They went on mission. Lindsay Denny and Holly French and Jerry Jasnock went above and beyond over the past two, two and a half months in order for those ministries to kids and family not to miss a beat and dozens and dozens of other great volunteers under them as well. But they forsook some of the things they wanted for over two months this summer in order for the kids' ministries not to miss a beat and for kids to keep on being discipled in the Lord. Isn't that incredible? Wow! Yeah, you can clap for that. And now, Pastor Kent, if you're listening, they're ready for a break. <laughs> Life on mission makes a difference. Unless a kernel of grain falls to the ground and dies, 
unless it's buried in the ground so it can germinate and become much more. It remains just a single seed. It'll decompose eventually above the ground, but it won't have any lasting influence. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's a Greek proverb that puts it this way. A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. Mm. That's when a society grows great. When old men and women plant trees, when they exercise their influence, over which they produce shade, under which they will never sit. It's not about them anymore. It's about the next generation, though, that's following them. You, you, you see, uh, t- people who are true disciples of Jesus, they never retire. They never retire. They, they, they very well may retire from their jobs, and that's good. They may slow down a little bit. Their mission may take different form, but we never retire from Jesus' mission to the world. We're always on Jesus' mission to the world. As long as we have breath, God, give us the very best thing to do, which is being on mission for you, that your will would be done in the world. Your influence can continue even after you die. It can multiply, multiply into so many seeds. It can produce this beautiful shade underneath which other people will be able to sit underneath and they will find shade. A good leader... A good servant's influence goes with them. It continues on for generations. Your legacy will continue if you serve the Lord and you serve other people. Not for making a big name for me. That won't continue. But if it's about making a big name for God, making his name great, that will indeed continue. Friends, to be on mission is such a profound means to our personal discipleship. And it is God's given means to building a legacy that becomes many seeds long after we are gone. This is our how. It's four simple core values. Truth, gospel, community, mission. You'll see it on these icons out in the lobbyways. You're walking through the ministry fair. Look at these icons up here. Truth, gospel, community, mission. There they are. You'll see them out there. These four simple words in three environments. A consistent focus. If you feel like you're not growing in Christ, this is what you can do. I'm consistently taking in the truth of the gospel each and every Sunday morning or each and every Sunday night at C20 Ministries. One or the other, every Sunday, I'm getting the truth of the gospel in me. That's one environment. Number two, I am in a community that I am walking with others who are pursuing Christ because community is the context for life change. I'm in a life group or a men's group or a women's group, something where I'm not doing this thing called Christianity, which is so difficult to do with others. I'm not doing it alone. I need others with me. And number three, I am on mission for the cause of Christ in one area, at least one area for every one of us, that we'd be on mission for the cause of Christ, for the glory of God, for the good of others around us, and we also will be transformed. That's our how. It's really pretty simple. Those three environments. But you got to have a plan. If you want to see transformational growth, you have to have a plan. We know that in every area of life. If you want to get healthy, you've got to have a plan for it that includes diet and exercise, right? If you want to get financially healthy, we know you've got to have a plan for it that includes generosity and saving. 
If you want your family to be healthy, you know you got to have a plan for your family health, which includes things like we're going to eat together a certain number of times per week. We're going to do family devotions together a certain number of times per week. We're going to get family health. And we believe all of those deserve a plan, but we also believe the most important thing that deserves a plan is our spiritual transformation. God says it's the most important thing, our spiritual lives, that we be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so here's our plan. The truth of the gospel, in community, on mission, we live in it, we bathe in it, we pray through it for the glory of God, for the good of the church, and for our own transformation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus and his beautiful, beautiful word here. That unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just remains a single seed. I know, Lord, that that's not what I ultimately want for my life, that my life would be here today and gone tomorrow and really wouldn't have any lasting influence. And so, God, I say to you, I want what I do to be done for you and to be done for others, that even if people forget my name, even if people forget what I've done, perhaps they would be changed in some positive way, but because of the mission that we are on, for the honor of God. So Father, we give ourselves to you this morning. We recognize that we all have our wants and our desires and they have a place in our lives. But today on Ministry Expo Sunday, we are recognizing that perhaps some of us are missing out on one of these four words. We just don't have a consistent measure of truth in our lives. If that's the case, just admit that to God right now. I'm really not hearing the gospel much. I'm not bathing myself in the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I just admit that to you right now, God. I, I don't have a community where I can be myself with my failures and my weaknesses and my areas for change. And I need some other people around me. Would you please help me with that, God? I don't have an area of mission where I'm living out your call that I be a disciple maker for the church. And I want that, God. I need that because I want to be changed to become more like Christ. And it doesn't happen until we act. So, Father, would you do a great work in us today, in each and every one of us, in our church, and in this fall, we invite you to begin changing us. We say to you right now, God, begin that change with me. Not with the person next to me. I'm not elbowing my wife right now. I'm not elbowing my husband right now. We invite you to begin with us. Father, do your work that you would get all the credit for the change that you begin to bring in us. To Jesus be all praise now and forevermore. God's people say, amen.